All right, well, good afternoon, Grace Hill. So glad you guys are here. You can go ahead and find your seat. Welcome, welcome. Uh, so glad that you're here. If you are joining us here at Cedar Run, we are so glad that you're here. It's good to see all of your faces. And to those of you who are joining us online, we're glad uh, that you are joining us now as well. And we miss you and we can't wait until um, we can all be together again, uh, hopefully here really soon. My name is Alan, one of the pastors here at Grace Hill Church. So if you're new here at Cedar Run or online, welcome. We'd love um, to be able to meet you if we have not met yet. Excited to jump into God's Word with you this morning. I'm going to invite Dana. She's going to come on up. She's going to open our time reading the Scripture and also uh, in prayer. Thanks, Dana. All right, today's reading is Psalm 144, the whole thing, starting with the first verse. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom... Yeah, I can't read. Whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-stringed harp, I will play to you who gives victory to kings, who rescues David, his servant, from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. May your granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, you know the battles we've seen are currently fighting and have yet to come. Help us go boldly where you are taking us because you are our shield, our fortress, our deliverer. God, you already won the war. And because of this, fill us with your love so much so that we overflow with joy and know how to praise you in the struggle. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for opening us, um, Dana. If you have your Bibles, you can open those up to Luke chapter 8, the Gospel of Luke. We're going to continue in our sermon series this afternoon. Uh, In Luke, this is part 30, and we're in the end of Luke chapter 8. And we'll read that in just a second. Remember, the Gospel of Luke is a eyewitness account of the life and the teachings of Jesus. And so as we've been studying the Gospel of Luke, we've been studying the things that Jesus did and the things that Jesus taught. Now, two weeks ago, we started kind of this mini-series reading through Luke chapter 8, looking at these three different encounters that Jesus had with different people. And in all three of these encounters, Jesus asks these people a very simple yet loaded question, right? These weren't questions that were designed to gather data, right? As if Jesus didn't already know the answer to these questions, but rather it was a simple question designed to get the person and then yes, to get us as we study this 2,000 years later, to get us to examine ourselves, to ask ourselves this very question, because Jesus has something he wants us to learn through it. So two weeks ago, the first one, we studied how when Jesus calms the storm in the Sea of Galilee, and after he calms the storm, right, he looks at his disciples, and here's the question he asks, where is your faith? And Jesus wanted his disciples, he wanted us to to examine ourselves. Where is our faith in the midst of storms in the middle of valleys? Uh, Last week, we studied when Jesus went and drove out the demons from the man over in the Decapolis. And as he is ministering to this man, he asks him the question, what is your name? And we read that the demons answered for this man. And so we, we studied this and we studied how Many ways that the many ways that our enemy seeks to attack us and to influence us is through deceiving us and telling us untrue things about ourselves. Now, this week we're gonna do the third encounter. Um, I think it's my favorite of the three, and look at Jesus's final and third question here in Luke chapter eight. Before we read it, let me just be very clear. Here's my goal for this afternoon. My goal for every single one of us is that we would walk out of here after having read the scriptures and and thought about what it means for us, that we would walk out of here knowing that God is paying attention to you that you would know that. We're gonna uh, talk about um, this attribute of God called the omnipresence of God. The omnipresence of God, meaning that God is everywhere, present, aware, paying attention at all times with all of his children, with all people. He kind of inhabits every space. He is everywhere at one time. He's paying attention and as we think about that, we might go, that's, that's a little scary to think about. Actually, I feel like that kind of ratchets it up the, 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 the pressure on me to always be trying to please God, right? To always be trying to do things in God's eyes as if he is always watching me because 
in fact, he is always watching me. But here's the thing that I want you to know about the character and the attributes of God, and this is what we're going to see today, is that, yes, in Scripture, we have all of this data about who God is. And the scriptures tell us the different attributes of God, that he's glorious, he's omnipresent, he's all-powerful, he's this, he's that. But more than just data, we also have a person that we can look at. And that particular person, Jesus Christ, displays to us what God is like as he inhabits these different attributes, right? Hebrews chapter one, verse three says that Jesus Christ is the exact imprint of the nature of God. So we can look upon Jesus and what Jesus does is he personifies these attributes. He puts a personality on it. He gives us the emotional, relational dynamics of God's character, of God's attributes. And so Today, as we study the omnipresence of God, what we have the opportunity to do is to look at Jesus and to see how Jesus displays this attribute to us. And here's my prayer, and here's my hope, is that not only would we walk out of here knowing that God is paying attention to us very specifically, but that would be actually great comfort to our souls. All right, so let's read this story, this encounter that Jesus has. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 40, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter, verse 56. Remember, Jesus was just in the Decapolis last week, and he had driven out um, the demons from the man. So it says in verse 40, now when Jesus returns, so from the Decapolis, he's returning back across the Sea of Galilee into the area of Galilee on the western side of the sea. Okay, so he's back. The crowd welcomed him, all right, because this is the crowd that's been following him and seeing him do all of his things. Remember, the crowd of the Decapolis rejected him and kicked him out. Now he's back. The crowd is welcoming him, for they were all waiting for him to come back. Verse 41 And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age. She was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, touching him, just pressed in against him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, here's our question, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Peter always loved the opportunity to try and call Jesus out for something. Jesus, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching you right now. Verse um, Verse 46. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. 
For I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, I love that. She came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came. Remember, this is Jairus. Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. She got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. One of the reasons why I absolutely love this story, especially the part of this woman who reaches out and touches the fringes of of Jesus' garment is this, is we have this collision in this story of this desire to be seen, and yet at the very same time, the terror of being seen. I mean, if you think about this woman, uh, this woman, she's, she's had this discharge of blood for 12 years. She is suffering. She needs help. Nobody can help her. She has heard that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, can heal. And so she's thinking, maybe I have a shot. I need his attention. But at the same time, I'm terrified of getting his attention. You know, God created every single one of us as relational beings, meaning that every one of us have a built-in, innate desire to be seen by other people, noticed, acknowledged in relationship with other people. And the reason that we know this is because we are image bearers of God. God created us after himself, and he himself is a relational being, right? He's even in relationship with himself in the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he's a relational being, and that's how he created us. And so one of the areas we see this in Genesis 2, and we talk about this all the time because it's so significant in understanding the storyline of the Bible, is at the end of Genesis chapter 2, this chapter is outlining the creation of all of the world and, and of man, of Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman. And it says at the end of Genesis 2, that the man and the woman, they were naked. Uh, And if you study the Hebrew there, it means they were vulnerable. They were open to to attack. They were naked, and yet they were unashamed. Meaning that they could be fully seen by other people, fully seen by God, not just physically, but also 
right? Mentally, emotionally, relationally, all of these things, fully seen and yet not ashamed. Not a thing to be ashamed of. But you get to the next chapter, Genesis 3, and what happens? Adam and Eve, they, they sin against God, and what, what's the first thing that occurs? All of the sudden, this instinct to cover, this instinct to run, this instinct to hide, to not be seen anymore, is now all of a sudden a part of human nature. It's built into us now. This idea of, I desire for other people to see me, to notice me, to know me. I desire that from God, but at the same time, I'm terrified of it. Because if they see me for who I really am, if they see me for the things that I have done, then they will now reject me. So this is what the fall has done. So now we have this dilemma as creation, as human beings, that all of us feel deep in our chest, and that's this. We have this innate desire to be known and to be seen, and yet at the same time, we are terrified of it. Because to be seen is a really big risk. Look at this woman in our text today. Discharge of blood for 12 years. So not only was she suffering physically, but to, in the Jewish tradition, she was ceremonially unclean for 12 years. Everywhere she goes, she wants to practice her faith. She wants to worship God. You don't belong. You're unclean. You can't be here. Don't touch me. So she longs to be seen because, especially by Jesus, because she's suffering and she needs help and nobody can help her. But at the same time, terrified. Why? Because if she gets caught touching Jesus, oh man, she's now the woman who made him ceremonially unclean. Jesus can't know that she touched him. That's why she just goes up and touches the fringe of his garment. She does it discreetly. Maybe I can get something from him without him knowing. Maybe somehow I can be seen without really being seen. We all want this. We all want to be noticed by others. We all have deep down hard things inside of us that we want to be able to share with other people. We want to be able to share with God, but at the same time, it comes at great risk. And so many times in our Christian walk, in our Christian faith, as we interact with the church, in our prayer life, it's safer to go unnoticed. It makes me wonder how many of us here today or joining us online are bleeding right now. We, we want to be seen. We've got some things we need to work through, a process. But at the same time, it just even the idea of revealing that, even the idea of saying that out loud, there's too much risk associated with that. So it's just easier to, to be discreet, right? I don't want to burden others with my problems. I don't want to put my issues on other people. Just been thinking about the parents of our congregation. It's been a long pandemic year. Long pandemic year. And, and maybe you're one of those right now, because I think there's many of them in our church, and I've been praying for you, where you're just like, no, actually, you know, here's where I'm really at. I'm at the end of my rope. 
and I'm watching my attitude towards my kids go downhill, and I'm watching the way that I react to them get worse and worse and worse, and I am struggling. It's actually no longer a pandemic joke anymore. It's a reality. I'm bleeding on this one right now. And yet, how ashamed do we feel when we begin to share that with other people? And yet, at the same time, we realize when we do that we're actually surrounded by so many others who are in the exact same spot. Or I think about people in our church who have suffered great loss over this last year. Death in the family, sickness, not being able to be with family to mourn and to grieve, loss of a child. And just think to myself, why am I not over this yet? Why do I still feel that thing in my chest when I continue to think about this? Why is it consuming my thoughts? Why is it keeping me up at night? Shouldn't I be over this by now? I don't want to share this. I don't want to let other people in because, man, it's been so long. What can they do? Think about people who are asking big questions about the faith, and they're really scared about the answers they're going to get. Just wondering if they're allowed to answer those questions, if they're allowed to be seen even in that. I'm just even thinking about people who are really unhappy with where their life is right now. And yet they feel so guilty for feeling that because they look at their life and they look at all of the good things and the blessings and they go, who am I to complain about those things? And so even though I feel this, it's just easier to remain discreet. I don't want to burden others with this. I want to burden God with it. Our text today in Luke 8 teaches us about the omnipresence of God. But Jesus helps us to see what that really is like. And what we see in our text, just like Jesus with this woman, is that he is paying attention. When Jesus asked this question, who touched me? He knows who touched him because he was paying attention to this woman. He was dialed into her suffering. What mattered to her mattered to him. And I believe that today, as we study this text, Jesus wants us to know that he is paying attention to whatever's going on in our life, good or bad or everywhere in between. He sees, and it matters to him. And so here's what I've got. I've got three things that we learn about the omnipresence of God from our text that I want us to get today. All right, three things. And here's the first one. We've been saying it already, but we have to continue to talk about it, and that's this. God is paying attention to you specifically Like his presence is with you, all right? And when I mean his presence, what I'm not talking about is like general awareness, right? That God is generally aware that you're there, that you exist in kind of the big moments of your life and maybe ready to enter in when things are going bad or or maybe you mess up and he's ready to correct or something like that. No, what I'm talking about is full attention. So when when I'm with my kids, 
right? Let's say I'm in my living room and they're playing on the floor and I'm sitting on the couch, right? And let's just say I'm sitting there scrolling my phone. Happens too much. And I'm generally aware of them. I know they're there. I generally know what they're doing. I think my wife would say, you have no idea what they're doing. You just tune them out. But I generally know what they're doing. I'm there to, to enter in if they start fighting, if I need to correct, I'm ready to go, right? But I'm not focused on them. So that's very different than me, what? Putting the phone down, getting on my knees, wrestling with them, eye contact, laughing, being goofy with them, playing a game. Now that's presence. That's full attention. That's whatever's mattering to them at that moment matters to me at that moment. And this is the kind of presence that I want you to know that God has with you, that he is paying attention to you. It's what I love about our text this morning because the text starts with Jairus coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, my daughter, she's dying. And Jesus goes he is with Jairus. He is with this little girl who is dying. He's paying attention to it. But in the midst of all of that, he's also paying attention to this woman because as she just touches the fringes of his garment, he knows. And he's ready to minister to her. He's ready to turn around, to stop everything and say, yes, all of these crowds are pressing in on me, but I see you too. But it also doesn't take away from what Jesus is doing with Jairus and his daughter. His focus hasn't turned from them either as he stops to minister to this woman. And so here's what we learned from this. And that's this, is because God can give his undivided attention to you, and because that does not take away his attention from any other person, you never have to question if God is paying attention. And you never have to feel guilty that God's attention is on you. That's the omnipresence of God. He has the ability to pay attention to you in a focused way and at the same time every single one of his other children. And so you never have to wonder if God's attention is there on you. And you also never have to feel guilty that God's attention is on you or that you're asking things of God. And then you're beginning to feel, who am I that I would ask God these things? Look at all the good things in my life. Why would God care about me when there's so many other people out there who have need? And the omnipresence of God says, listen, you don't need to worry about that. You know, one of the things that I've, uh, like a critique of Christianity that I've heard is, man, that's an egotistical religion. You know, you have this all-powerful God. He's the creator of the universe. There's only one God. There's billions and trillions of people, I guess, over the course of history. And we believe that that God wants to have a relationship with you. And he's paying attention to you and he cares about your life and he wants you to be saved. And it's like, wow, why would this one God care about any of us individually? But the answer to that is the omnipresence of God. 
The omnipresence of God does not say that God focuses on you and then therefore rejects everybody else. No, it's that God has the ability to pay attention to you, focus on you, and at the same time, everyone else. So we might ask the question, you know, Psalm 144 that Dana just read, right? Who, what is man, God, that you would regard us? Like, like, God, why is your attention on me? I mean, when I think about what the Bible says about you, it says that you're glorious, and it says you're holy, it says you're righteous and just, and that you can't be in the presence of sin and all of these different things. God, I, when I look at my life, when I look at my thoughts, when I look at just how fickle I can be, who am I that you would pay attention to me? It's a great question. And it leads to number two on things we need to learn about the omnipresence of God, and that's this. Your sin and your uncleanliness does not repel God. It does not cause his attention to go somewhere else. I love the fact that in our text today, that an un clean woman, a ceremonially unclean woman encountered Jesus, touched him, and Jesus turns and gives her his full, undivided attention. I love the irony of that. Jesus, the exact imprint of the nature of God, right? So in the Bible, we read about God, right? And we read about this God who is righteous and holy and big, right? We, we call him transcendent, meaning that he is, he's far. He's other. He's not like us. He's much higher than we are, right? If we were to stand in the presence of his glory, we would just be obliterated, right? This is the holiness of God. So we, we have this picture of God, but we got Jesus here, who's the exact imprint of the nature of God. Hebrews 1.3, right? And this woman who is unclean touches him, and he draws near. Wait, what do we do with that? I mean, those are kind of like opposing values in the scripture. So in the scriptures, at the very same time, we see a God who is gentle and lowly and near to us. You would say he's imminent, right? He's near. He desires to be with us. He's relational. How do these two attributes of God, his transcendence and his eminence, come together? How is Jesus able to stand there in the presence of this woman and love her and regard her and move towards her and heal her? How does that work? The only answer that we have in Scripture is the cross of Jesus Christ. That we have a God who is so holy that no, he cannot be in the presence of our sin and he will not tolerate our sin, but he is also at the same time a God who is slow to anger and gentle and kind and desires to save. So he sends his son, Jesus, and what does Jesus do? As the exact imprint of the nature of God is he comes near to us and he gathers up all of our sin and all of our uncleanliness like he did this woman and he says, I'm taking this to the cross to take care of it. 
And because I'm going to take this to the cross and because I'm going to deal with it, that means that this holy, transcendent, awesome God can draw near to us. And he can put his gaze upon us and he can pay attention to us. And the things that matter to us will matter to him and he will be with us. And it's because of the cross, right? So the cross of Jesus Christ says this, that God sees you, everything. God sees you in your nakedness, to use Genesis 2. There is nothing hidden from him, but the cross of Jesus Christ declares that he will not reject you. He will not turn and say, who touched me? Look at the woman and say, unclean. But he'll turn and say, I see you. And your faith has made you well. The cross of Jesus Christ fulfills our deepest desire to be seen and calms our greatest fear of being seen. You know, the other day I was talking to this person who is not a believer. And um, he said to me, you know, if God ever knew all of the things that I've done, if I ever confessed those things to him, um, like it, all the things that I've done, just the very knowledge of it would repel him. Just would repel him away from me. And we were in this discussion and I told him, I said, you know, I believe that you have a fundamental misunderstanding of what we believe about God. Because first of all, he does know. He does know. He sees you. He knows everything in your past. All the shameful stuff. Everything that you go, man, if he would know, I don't know how that would go. He sees it. But we also have a God who, through Christ, draws near to us and wants to deal with it so that he can pay attention to you and save you, cleanse you, make you right, and make you whole. We don't serve a God who's repelled by our sin. We serve a God who draws near and saves us from our sin. But, you know, I know that so many of us, like, we, we know that. I mean, that's the gospel, right? We know it in our head. We say that we believe it. We do believe it but we also walk around just in our chest, in our hearts, believing something different. That God's not paying attention to me, and if he is paying attention to me, then he is not pleased with what he sees. And that's the story, that's the narrative we always tell ourselves. And so that leads me to number three of just what I want us to get and learn about the omnipresence of God here in our text, and that is this, that God has called the body of Christ to pay attention to one another as he does us. That God has called the body of Christ to pay attention to one another as he does us, right? So what have we learned today? We've, we've learned, what have we learned about God? We've learned about the omnipresence of God, right? That he is paying attention and it's undivided, right? He can give you his full attention and that doesn't take away from anyone else. What have we learned about ourselves? We've learned that our deepest desire is to be seen, but that is also our greatest fear because of our sin. 
and because of our shame. But the cross of Jesus Christ fulfills that greatest desire and calms that greatest fear. Then if that's what we've learned about God and if that's what we've learned about ourselves, what do we learn about others in this? And it's the same as ourselves. Like if we look around the room today, if we think about our church family, if we think about our neighbors, they too, their greatest desire is that they would be seen and their greatest fear is that they would be seen. So what an opportunity we have as followers of Jesus to move towards that to put our attention on one another, full attention. Be a place where it's safe to be known and minister the attention and presence of God to one another. One of the ways that God ministers his presence to his people, one of the ways is through his people. You have the ability to minister the attention and presence of God to your brothers and sisters, to your neighbors, by giving your attention and presence to them. And if if I'm honest with you, this is the vision of our church. This is it right here. We want to be a place, Grace Hill Church, we want to be a place where it's safe to be known. It is safe to be seen because we minister the grace and the presence of God to one another. It's a place where you can bring everything and we're not going to walk out on you. Because that's exactly how God loves us and he calls us to love one another and to love our neighbors in the same way that he loves us that we would be a place where we, it's, let me, let me say it this way, that we'd be a place where it's really easy that we, to believe that we matter to God because we matter to one another. And so what would it look like to be intentional about this, to love one another in this way? What would it look like even today after our service to think of one person, two, person, two people where you're like, I wanna go give them my attention. And I'm not going to worry about anybody else. I want to look them in the eyes and I want to see how they're doing. I want them to know that I care about them. I want them to know that I'm a safe person where they can be themselves. Share what's going on. Ask for prayer. Share a need. Encourage one another. What would it look like if that became a regular part of our church experience? Where we want to remind each other that God's paying attention because we're paying attention to one another as well. So here's what I want to do just to begin to close us. I just want to give us some space to think and pray. Uh, Evan's going to lead us in a song. He's just going to sing over us uh, for a few minutes. And what I want us to do is I just want us to meditate on this question. I'm going to give you a question. Here it is. What would you say to God? If you knew you had his full attention, his full attention, and you also knew that because of the cross, that what you have to say deeply matters to him, and he won't leave you. If you knew that, if you believed in that, if you had faith in that, what would you say to God? What do you want to share with him?
Say it one more time. What would you say to God if you knew you had his full attention and that because of the cross, what you have to say deeply matters to God and he won't leave you? I just want to give you some space to pray over that question. Then in a few minutes, Evan, Evan's going to invite us forward, and I want us to take communion together. And today, I've, I've placed the communion cups up front on these tables, and I did that for a reason. Because I believe that oftentimes when we take communion, right, this is a, a reverent act of worship as we remember the cross of Jesus Christ and what it means for us. But I believe that sometimes what happens when we do this is we think, I need to get right with God before I can do this. I need to clean myself up before I do this. And I just want to reorient that for us. And I want you to, to understand and to know that because of the cross, when we come to the table, this is not a place that we come to because we are clean. This is the place that we come to to be cleansed. This is the place that we come to to be reminded that the body of Christ was broken so that we would not stand under the wrath of God. And that the blood of Jesus was shed to cleanse us from our sins. And so reaching for the communion cup is kind of like reaching for the friends of Jesus' garment. So I want you to take a few minutes. I want you to meditate on this question. Evan's gonna sing for us and he'll eventually invite us to the communion table and I want you to come and remember the cross and remember that God is paying attention to you and because of the cross, you are welcomed in his presence. Spend some time now on that question.